Tandem Nomads, episode 38. Nomad Nation, a little announcement. Tandem Nomads episode will be from now, launched on Tuesdays. I wouldn't start talking about divorce or the legal aspects of your separation if, or a potential separation until you've got clear legal advice because of the timing issue. The main thing is to actually just take some advice before you go. It may never have to be used, but at least if you know that in the back of your mind, you'll be better prepared than you would otherwise be. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, where inspiring expat partners from around the world share with you how they turn the challenges of relocation into great opportunities. So are you following your partner abroad for his or her career? Then Tandem Nomads is the place for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter. Hello Nomad Nation, this is Amel Deregi. You might notice that today my voice is a little bit funny as I catch the cold, so please bear with me, but the show must go on. And so let's start with our topic today, an important topic. One thing that we don't really hear about very often when we talk about expatriation, it is relationship and family breakdown. Uh, a divorce within an expat couple, especially with kids, can have some very difficult consequences, not only emotionally, but also existentially. And this is why it was very important for me to bring some insights to you in this matter. The worst case scenario is when conflicts of national administrations and international laws end up separating thousands of miles away mothers or fathers from their own kids. In fact, expat spouses staying in a foreign country can be very dependent on their marital status because of their type of visa, resident persons, but also because they often financially depend on their partners abroad and in certain cases don't even speak the language of uh, to be able to find a job immediately and take care of their administrative settlement if they stay in this foreign country. So once they divorce, expat spouses can suddenly become very vulnerable, lose all rights in the country where they live, and in worst cases, lose the custody of their children while having to go back home. A home where in certain cases they haven't lived for years and where they have absolutely no support system. So in order to talk about this very complex subject, I wanted to bring to you an expert in the topic, Lucy Greenwood. Lucy are you ready for the ride? I'm ready, yes. Okay. So Lucy is a lawyer and partner at International Family Law Group. She handles cases concerning all aspects of family breakdown. She ensures that her clients are protected as much as possible through litigation. When possible, Lucy also tries um, to find a conciliation approach, but much of Lucy's work in form cases requires immediate and urgent action to protect a client's position. So Lucy writes for websites, legal journals, and she has presented a number of seminars and webinars, updates for the legal profession, as well as given lectures across the world on the topic. Lucy, tell us, what made you become such an expert in this topic in family law, international family law? Well, really, it's a combination of things. Obviously, the world's becoming much more international, um, and London in particular is a centre for a great many different nations, which is wonderful. Um, and of course, when that happens, people start meeting and uh, having relationships with people from all around the world. And what they don't always realise is that when they move country, they also um, have to adopt the local laws um, in many cases, or they think they have to, and they don't know their options when it comes to something going wrong. Um, I 
appreciate from your introduction that it all sounds very doom and gloom and all a bit um, extreme. But there are situations that are extreme. But on the whole, there are things that can be done for people to protect themselves and just be aware of the situation before they move countries. Uh, and really, that's what I want to focus on for the, for the purposes of this um, discussion, rather than being too negative about the things that can go wrong. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually the whole point of this episode. We want to bring as many tips as possible on how to prevent a situation like that to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there is there are some straightforward things really before you before you move somewhere. It's it sounds crazy, but if you have got a bit of a doubt, if you've not been together very long or if you're moving with children it's not so silly to actually go and see a family lawyer in the country uh, where you might be moving to or leaving just to find out what rights will you know what impact it will have on your rights when you move um, a lot of um, rights are lost when you actually leave a country and don't reside there anymore and so it is important before you do that just to have a feel for what you should shouldn't be wary of when you move if you've as I say if you've got concerns that something may go wrong um, if you don't know somebody very well or if you're having a slightly rocky patch anyway and perhaps this move is something to uh, see if your relationship can survive and work with a bit of a change of circumstance. Definitely. So just before we start going deeper in the topic, can you um, maybe on a f first place, like um, break down for us all the causes and consequences that can, that can make a divorce uh, abroad complicated and are the, the aspects we should look at closely? Right. Okay. I mean, that's a very broad um, request. But in, in essence, because you will be going to a different country and you may both be from other countries yourselves, um, there could be two, three, four jurisdictions where you might have the right to bring proceedings. Now, every country has different laws and some countries are far more generous um, to the weaker financial party, for example, than um, other countries. And so you, if you were the weaker financial party, you would want to ensure that you try and keep sufficient connection with the country which is most favourable to you. There can also be races in time as to where um, you issue divorce proceedings should you need to um, and that can secure a jurisdiction within Europe it is first in time so if for example you are living in Holland um, but you've both got strong connections with England and you're both what we call domiciled here despite living in um, in the European country whichever country issues first seizes jurisdiction i.e i.e. that's where the matter will be heard and there are no other grounds that actually um, count. So it's not a matter of where you've got most connection or where you spent most of your married life. And so you can get some bizarre um, outcomes as a result of that. Um, there are also situations where people don't realise when they move abroad with children, if the father or mother, whichever is the one that's... Um, technically being left behind, um, has what we call parental responsibility and custody rights, then you have to have their permission to leave that country. So you may meet somebody in London, move to Spain and not realise that actually if it doesn't work out, you probably can't get your children out very easily from Spain. You'd have to have an order or that uh, person's, the father's consent to actually move back to England. And a lot of people don't realise that. And before they know it, they are on the wrong foot, on the wrong side of a child abduction claim, mm -hmm. um, which is, which is, 
then putting them on the back foot even if they do go back to the country and have to apply formally to leave. So it's important to know these sorts of things before you move or if things aren't going well when you have moved, taking some advice quickly and don't talk to your partner about them, which sounds um, perhaps not the way you either want to go into a relationship or the way that you will feel if you're just feeling a bit rocky. But it is important because whatever advice you get will be very different um, from the advice they would get. And so there is a conflict and you don't want to be in a situation where they move forward in such a way as to give themselves benefit over and above you. Yeah, that's that's really quite interesting that even if the parents are from a, a, the same country and they move to a country, a third country, I mean a second country, that if one of them has to go back home, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can take their child with them. No, I mean, of course, the stronger the connection, both if you have with the country you want to return to, and if both of you ultimately want to return there, but perhaps not immediately, then your chances of getting leave to bring the children back either immediately or, or soon uh, when the contract ends or something may increase. But no, there is no guarantee of that. So you could both be... Um, English nationals living in Italy um, and because you've lived in Italy and that's your what we call habitual residence and the child is used to living there that it can be very difficult to get the child back to England. It's crazy yeah so could you maybe that's maybe it's the right time to bring in um, the Hague Convention in order to continue um, speaking about this topic can you tell us more about what is this um, Hague Convention how does it expect um, how does it affect expat families? Okay, well, the Hague Convention is much more widely known about than it used to be even when I started. Um, and basically, it was brought in to prevent parents just upping and leaving with their children to another country. Um, and there are a lot of signatories. There are some non-Hague Convention countries where it's harder to get children back. Um, but a lot of the countries are signatories to the Hague Convention. And what it means is that if a parent has taken a child or children to um, another country without the other parent's consent and that parent has custody rights, the parent who's been left behind without the children can apply through the government um, of the country where the children have moved to to request that their courts send the children back. And the powers of the courts are very strong in relation to this issue and there are very, very few defences um, And it means that in most cases, if you have come to a country without consent and you haven't been here for 12 months, uh, then it is very likely that you will be sent back. And that just means that any application you then make to return to the country you want to go to, um, it, it will be reflected that you have abducted already. And that will make the court a little bit more wary um, about granting leave. So it's really not advisable, however much and however tempting it is. Obviously, if you get written consent of the parent um, and do get it in writing rather than verbally, um, that can assist you in these sorts of cases. Um, but even so, you've got to have clear consent that hasn't been revoked in order to be able to stay in another country. So let me rephrase to make sure that I understand well uh, what the convention Hague says. Basically that we need a written, uh, can I summarize it like that? If I'm wrong, please correct me, that we need a written um, like authorization from the other party that we can take the kid with us, right? I mean, a verbal consent might suffice, but obviously it can become their word against yours. So it's safer to have it in writing. Okay. Uh, and clearly defining you know, why you're going back and when. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so that it's absolutely apparent that there was a clear agreement. Um, some people, I mean, they don't do it and it's fine, but of course, to be belts and braces about it, it'd be more sensible to have it in writing. Mm-hmm. So how do we do it? Because usually sometimes when there is a real relationship breakdown and the communication doesn't work among the the couple and, and suddenly the issue comes in, I need, you know, the partner needs to leave the country and wants to take the kids with them and they cannot agree on, on you know, on having the authorization. So what are the solutions in this case? I mean, you're absolutely right, which is why many people do just flee, partly because they don't realize that things are so bad, they just feel they just want to go home, as it were. Um, but that it's not enough protection. And even if somebody's in a violent relationship, um, which you know does obviously occur sometimes, then even that is generally not sufficient defense to just run away without telling the parent. There will be other safeguards put in place if you're returned to the country, perhaps not living in the same house, etc., or having some injunctions, um, but you would still be sent back to the country. Um, it's very, very extreme defenses that work with the Hague Convention, so you must assume you're likely to go back. So what do you do if you're thinking that you're not happy? First, of course, you try and discuss it with your partner. If you can't do that... Um, you would probably uh, want to then look into um, the likelihood of that particular country granting you leave to take your children if he doesn't agree. And that varies around the world. Some countries are far more um, pro um, you know, the return, allowing the return than others, but it's getting increasingly difficult in most certainly European and American countries to do so, um, or American states, sorry, to do so. Um, or you could perhaps try mediation um, and to see whether you know there was ways of talking around the subject generally, um, or you could negotiate perhaps not staying there very long and coming back a bit sooner or the, when the contract ends. Um, but failing that, if nothing else works, you have to make an application in the court local to where you're living with the children um, as a family to apply to leave that country and go to the country you want to. And to do that, you'd have to set out a very clear plan as to why it's better for the children to do that. It's not a question of where you want to go and just because you want to get away from your ex-partner. It's got to be very much child-focused and it's got to include um, detailed plans of um, contact arrangements, etc. Um, should you get leave to take the child to another country? Um, mm-hmm. So they're not easy cases um, and people do not always think about that aspect when they hop around the world with their partners um, and uh, with the children in tow. It's it's quite crazy that some, there's a country that we have no direct relationship with that suddenly makes the decision for, for well, us. The argument is that the child is, is living there and that's its home. And mm-hmm. um, in many cases, even if the adults haven't been there or the parents haven't been there that long, it might be the only country the child's really remembered uh, mm-hmm. and maybe in school there and settled. So it's very much child-focused um, when it comes to the decision about relocation. But as I say, different countries treat um, the situation very differently. So you must take local advice um, if you're in a country and finding that you want to return or go to another country with the children. The Hague Convention includes uh, like several countries from the world, not just Europe, right? Oh, it's all over the world, yeah. Okay. Those, those that currently aren't involved are often in the UAE. Um, those are complicated and difficult areas for any kind of enforcement financially or with children. Um, and uh, also the Indian um, continent um, and parts of Africa. So 
Yes, I mean, you can always look up um, the Hague Convention countries. Uh, they should come up quite easily on an internet search, or you can look on a website called Reunite, um, and uh, that's about reuniting children. And it was it was actually developed um, by somebody in part from uh, from our office, Denise Carter. And there's a lot more. Um, information about child abduction now and I don't get too many clients ringing me up and thinking that they can just go back um, to another country with their children much more awareness is apparent and many people start my conversations now with I don't think I can go back but um, which is a, a big change in the last sort of 10 or 15 years so the awareness for child abduction is is great you know it is getting much much better and people aren't finding themselves on the wrong side of the law accidentally thinking they can just go home with the children okay that's that's great so nomination we will i will share this uh, list of countries on the show notes of this episode and um, lucy before we go further also i would like to clarify a bit the status and the definition of expatriation um, we have different type of expatriation we have those who actually when a, a partner joins another one in his or her country but and then we have the situation of expatriates who move from a country or another regularly are they in both cases, like, um, um, targeted by this uh, convention? Yes, I mean, the convention relates to where the child is living. So if the child has moved to another country, whether it's, somebody, if it's, whether it's a country that they're connected to um, from either parent's birthplace or just a, a third country that neither of them had anything to do with until they went to live there and work there, um, it still applies, yes, absolutely. Um, now, I know that in, in uh, your outline you mentioned diplomats, But even diplomats, there's a test for habitual residents um, and it very much depends why they are staying in the embassy, whether they've gone for a particular purpose um, or whether, in fact, they wanted to go to that country and it was just a good posting or they've been there a long time and are likely to stay afterwards. And all of those factors can even have an impact on whether or not um, a child is deemed habitually resident in that country. There's a lot to it and you need local advice um, as to what you can do to... Uh, move the child yeah I'm, I'm really happy you came on the show we're not yet done but all what you're saying is so important to know before we start this journey it's just it's just crazy that we never realize it until the problem the problem comes in the movement of children but in terms of finances there are also issues too um, because you can find that uh, basically when, when we get a new client situation with an international dimension we will um uh, We will check which countries are involved and where the people are from um, and where we think there could be sufficient connection to bring um, divorce proceedings. And once we established that, we would take advice um, from those various countries to find out what sort of outcome you would get um, for a financial case in each of those countries and determine which was best for you. And of course, what's best for one spouse is not, not, <laughs> not best for the other spouse. So, for example, London is commonly known as the uh, divorce capital of the world because it's very generous or known to be fairly generous to the non or the weaker financial party. But of course, if you've got somebody that's the stronger financial party, um, they're not likely to want to be in England and so they're going to want advice as to where else they can issue. And as I touched on before, if, if there's another European country involved, it can actually be a race as to who issues first.
divorced. And so you can't discuss divorce with your partner, which is not very conciliatory. So we have all sorts of issues that people just simply aren't aware of. And before they know it, they've found they're being served with divorce papers in the country that they're currently living in, but haven't really got much connection with um, and wouldn't have wanted to do that if they'd known they'd had a choice. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of other aspects too as to how the countries that you're in and living in deal with financial matters on divorce. Um, Some of them apply your national law. So if you're both English nationals living in, say, Spain, then you the court may apply English law, but they will not apply it as an English court would. Um, so there's a lot to it. And again, you need advice from lawyers wherever you've got some kind of connection with any country in the world if you are in a situation where you think your relationship's a little bit rocky. So this is really interesting what you just said uh, at the end. Uh, basically, you can have a judgment uh, pronounced in England according to English law, but the execution will be an execution that's local to the country where they are. Is it what you're saying? Yes, it can be. And the wow. other thing that's very strange and takes a bit of getting your head round is what we call applicable law, which doesn't happen in England because we're slightly separate um, within the European Union in the way we do things, as you probably know. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, in most European countries, if you've got a couple of people of a different nationality, say you're in Spain, you've got two Italian nationals, the Spanish courts may try and apply what the Italian courts would do if you were in Italy, which seems a bit crazy. Um But they don't do it very well. They don't do it like a local Italian lawyer would um, do it. So it, it's better to go to the actual country um, where that law applies rather than relying on another country to apply your local law. It's very confusing and very complicated. Um, but it, the main thing to remember is that if you've got a connection with other countries, get in touch with a lawyer from that country to see if you've even got the right to issue in that country because it may be to your benefit to do so. Oh, this is crazy, yeah. And it comes with costs and it comes with also extra... So is there, let's talk now about what we can do to prevent it before even there is an issue while the relationship is going great. Um, what, what should we do? as a couple to prevent this kind of issues? Well, I'm very, uh, I mean, it, it, children is harder because whatever you agree before you leave can obviously change with time. And a court's not going to hold a parent that said five years ago that they would definitely come back and allow the children to come back in five years' time to necessarily be up to be uh, bound by that agreement. So whilst you can put things in writing or, or you can discuss between yourselves when the plan is to return to the children and all of that can be very helpful evidence if you're asking the court for permission to come back, um, it's not... It's, it's not binding. Um, it's not binding. That's interesting. No. I mean, not for children matters. Now, for finances, it can be very sensible to think about a prenup, um, even where you've got an international couple. But you need to think about where you might be living because it will be where you separate, where potentially that prenup would be tested Um, and, for example, in many European countries, they are binding, but in England, they're not. So, again, there's a whole host of things um, that need to be discussed. England will pay a lot of attention to them and give them quite a lot of weight if they've been entered into freely with legal advice in good time and with 
full disclosure, but they won't um, automatically accept them. So you may have a couple who got married and are even French, and then they come and live in England. They separate. One of them issues proceedings in England and says, oh, it's okay, we've got a French premarital agreement. And our court says, no, I'm sorry, you might have that, but we're not taking notice of that. We're going to change the terms to make them fairer to the weaker financial party. So a lot of people don't realize those sorts of things either. How do they, how can, for example, in this uh, example, we, we have a French couple that's in the UK and they divorce and one of them wants to go back home. Uh, but, the, but the British law would say, no, that's not possible because of the interests of the child. Um, but the, let's say the parent still goes back home with the child. How can the British law prevent that from happening? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways of preventing Well, for, to prevent it, you could do a prohibited steps order before they've gone. So if somebody was saying to you, if the parent was saying to you, oh, I'm fed up here, I'm going to leave, I'm going to take the children, you would go to your local lawyer and most countries would have a similar um, arrangement and you would go to court quickly. And you get an order preventing them from being able to leave. Um, and in England, that would involve something called a port alert as well, so that if they tried, it's likely they would be stopped at customs um, if they tried to leave. Mm -hmm. um, so if, you want, if we want to leave with a child, what are our options? If you want to leave, you have to have consent of the parents or a court order. Um, mm -hmm. And if you haven't got a strong, if you haven't got another, uh, an otherwise strong connection other than the fact the child's living in England, say, and you want to go back to France, then your chances of relocating with the child are stronger. Um, but if you have a less um, obvious link or you've been in England a long time and haven't lived in France and the child's never lived in France, it becomes harder. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can understand because you said that the law basically is focused on the what they consider the benefits of the child, although the parents are supposed to know better. But the law tries to think of the child's in the integration in the country and how long they've been staying there. If As the child becomes older, their wishes and feelings are important. So once the child gets to about 11, 12 um, in England, and it will be younger in other countries potentially, um, they have much more say in where they live, which is which is quite tough on them, actually. Um, but it can be quite an effective um, defence, even to child abduction, um, if the child is of a certain age or is nearly 16 and has made its decision that it wants to stay in the country you've moved to. It's going to be hard to get them back. So, basically, if I try to summarize everything we said so far, one thing is that we have to know all of this before we go into this journey. We, we can't prevent it all, but it's important to know it. Right. So, and there are things that can be done. So if, you're, if for example, um, your relationship isn't going very well um, and, or it's going okay but you're not that happy in the country, you can start to um, perhaps agree with your partner that you travel back to the country you prefer to live, with, live in um, rather than just hanging there and staying until it all goes horribly wrong. So you can be a bit tactical about it too if you've, if you've got the knowledge and the important uh, facts about where you need to be and for how long before um, you actually can bring divorce proceedings in the country of your choice. That's not a particularly pleasant part of our work, but it's, it mm. is what happens. It's a tactic. Is there a way to give us an example of a case you worked on and how it ended up being solved? Um, I mean, there's there's numerous um, cases uh, yeah. which I've worked on with these sorts of issues. And sometimes you'll find that even when somebody has abducted a child 
and the other parents going up and down and hopping mad about it and they say you know I can bring you back under the Hague Convention it can be also very sensible to work out and say well look hang on even if I do come back we've only been in that country for say I don't know 12 months um, and we haven't really got any other connections there. You and I are from a completely different country. I think I've got quite a good chance, and the lawyer there says I've got quite a good chance of getting leave to remove the child and relocate anyway. Do you really want to send us all back with um, all the conditions that will come with that, only to find that six months later, after we've had to pay out a lot of money for the court to decide, I have to come back with the child. So there's negotiation that can take place, um, and that that is quite a common scenario. Um in terms of uh, divorce, it can be harder with Europe because whoever seizes the first in time basically gets the jurisdiction and it goes to that country. Um, but there are still ways of negotiating behind the scenes even after proceedings have commenced to get a more favourable deal than you might otherwise um, have. You may have to threaten um, certain applications to do it, but there are ways around it. Um, some of the harder cases are with Dubai um, and the UAE, and we're getting a lot more of those, people travelling there for the tax benefits, etc., and finding that they don't have the same protection in law um, that they might have if they lived in another country. Um, and they can be dependent on um, their spouse's visa and be a dependent, literally, as a visa. And if that breaks, if their relationship breaks down, you might find that in the worst case scenario, their partner stops their visa, they haven't got a right to have a visa in their own right they could potentially be kicked out of that particular country but of course they may not be able to bring their children with them that's a, that's a very extreme scenario um, yeah and how how can you solve this kind of situations i mean as a lawyer what can you do because it's not a hate convention country mm. and if you've got um, a parent who is um from a european country and they recognize um orders like uh, what we call undertakings, so promises to the court, which have with them um, uh, remedies in relation to contempt and putting people in prison if necessary, then it can be quite a useful tool in that scenario. So if we've got an English situation where the mother's here and she can't get her children out and we know that the husband or the father is going to want to come back to England, then we will have orders in place so that should he come back, he will be stopped at the border basically mm. um but it but those are you know those are those are tricky and it's not always possible um the other thing is that once you're living in a uae country um you have the option of using um sharia law and that is incredibly different um to western law and can yeah. involve um as of automatic right, um, children of a certain age going to live with their father. Basically, if I understood well, the first one who um, submits the complaint is the, the jurisdiction is... You've got a choice of issue. If, you've, if you could issue divorce proceedings in England and anywhere in the, you know, in the Brussels two countries, we call them, which is in Europe... Um, and it's not quite all European countries, but it's the large part, um, then automatically whoever gets there first in time has the proceedings in that country and you've got nothing you can do about it, provided they've got the right to bring the proceedings in that country. But what if we have a second one? What if despite that, I, for example, I start another proceeding in another country, what happens? Well, um, sometimes children issues would take, well, children issues would take place in the country where the child was living. So there can be, um, you're right, there can be situations with different proceedings taking part um, in different places um, around the world for different aspects of the case. Um, 
but unfortunately that sort of bifurcation as we call it of cases uh, does arise if you're if you've got a situation where you've got two countries one is uh, where you can divorce one is in europe and one is outside of europe then you've got the scope to argue which is the more convenient country to hear the matter and it's not definitive on who gets in first in time but these are expensive cases and you'll be fighting over where you hear the matter before you even get on to the issue of how you actually resolve the matter um, and how you um, divide finances, etc. So there's a lot to it, and a lot of a lot of thought has to go into these cases before you defend um, which country hears the matter. So it is much better to be sort of aware of these situations if you are having any doubts um, or any concerns about your relationship to know about them before you move um, or before um, it becomes an absolute crisis where you're having to make a decision very quickly. Very point to point, yeah. What kind of services do you bring as a lawyer in these cases? Right, well as a lawyer obviously we know the law um, and we have a lot of contacts around the world with other specialist lawyers whom we can pick up the phone to and check what the situation is in that country and what the outcomes are likely to be there as quickly as we can so that you can make a decision quickly as to where um, you have to bring proceedings if you are at that stage. We can do um, prenuptial agreements which set in, set in place um, sensible agreements if they're going to be done uh, and you're going to be living in England, ones that we think that a court is more likely to accept than some of the more radical ones that we see sometimes from other parts of the world. Um, we can, um, as I say, guide as to what steps to take in relation to your relationship if you think it's if you don't want to be in a country for too long um, to do some protective measures in relation to making it clear what the intention was before you left, which will stand you in better stead should you have to fight that matter in the future. Um, just general advice, really. I mean, it depends very much on the circumstances. Um, another situation that arises sometimes is that certain relationships aren't even recognised in different countries. So if you're a civil partnership or a same-sex marriage, then, you know, obviously places like Singapore wouldn't actually recognise that and certainly Dubai wouldn't and you would be advertising it. Um, so it's, it's, it's all of this, there's lots of factors that have to be borne in mind for your particular circumstance. Um, and it's not easy to say, oh, right, you must do X, Y, Z before you go. It very much depends on where you're going, who you're going with, how long you're going, and what your connections are elsewhere. From all what you've said, is there anything you think we didn't mention and that you think is important to know? I think it's important if you're not married um, to know what your rights are as well. Uh, good point. Um, yeah. And in England, there's a myth, really, that there is something called common law, husband and wife, and there isn't. Um, our laws are way behind um, many countries in the world in relation to cohabiting couples. Um, and it's very hard to get um, decent uh, financial uh, relief if you are not married in England, um, save for the children. Now, that is different um, compared to other countries because many countries don't believe in spousal maintenance or don't offer much anyway. And I mean by that maintenance for the other partner in addition to child maintenance. Um, but in England, um, perhaps rather old-fashionedly, we still have scope for quite lengthy spousal maintenance orders in addition to child maintenance, but that will not um, happen in relation to um, unmarried couples because there is no such right for the parents. It's only about the child. The parent will only have what it legally owns and there's no scope for another order to give them more 
countries like yeah. Australia have uh, de facto um, marriage and they have full rights after a certain period of time of cohabitation. So these sorts of things, you know, if you're not planning to marry or you don't really believe in marriage or um, you know that one of you is never going to want to marry, then it's important again to check what your rights would be in that situation um, compared to where you're living currently. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It's a very, very important point you're bringing, especially that nowadays less and less couples get married and still have kids. So it can bring extra challenges into the procedures. And people might also think that because they're not married, you know, the other parent hasn't got custody rights of the children, but they often have in most countries now. Um, you know, there is either a way for them to have um, or apply for what we call parental responsibility, but many countries call custody rights, um, or they have them automatically um, if they're registered on the birth certificate or or the like, so you can't even you can't count on that either. So again, that's an important aspect to consider. Even if you're travelling abroad with somebody you're just going to be living with, they may still, if if they are the natural father or mother, then um, they may still be able to stop you leaving the country. So let me try to summarise what we've said so far. Um, I would try to summarise it this way. The first point is that the most important thing about this topic is to be aware of these challenges. And this is why we're here together today. Um, the second one is that there might be ways to prevent before um, having any issues in the relationship by prenups or something like that. But it doesn't prevent you 100%. Is it right, Lucy? I think the point is... Um, uh, the main thing is to actually just take some advice before you go because to be forewarned is to be forewarned. Mm -hmm. And you could ignore it. You know, It may never have to be used, but at least if you know that in the back of your mind, you can feel like it's in your back pocket should you need it. Uh, and an alarm exactly. bell will ring when you hear a certain thing um, and you'll be better prepared than you would otherwise be. Exactly. And maybe the third point to try to research as much as we can as soon as we start feeling like the relationship is not going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Not to, although you may have obviously general discussions about your relationship with your partner in that situation, I wouldn't start talking about divorce or the legal aspects of your separation if, or a potential separation until you've got clear legal advice because of the timing issue. Very good point. So if we have doubts, we talk about the relationship, but not necessarily the legal aspects until we got a minimum of legal advice because as soon as we talk of divorce, the other one might hurry and just file a complaint. Exactly. Okay. Thank you, Lucy. This was so many great and very important advice you've been sharing with us today. And could you please let us know if we need more help or guidance from you? Uh, how can we reach um, you? I'm at the International Family Law Group in London. We're based in Covent Garden. Um, and my email address is Greenwood at iflg.uk.com um, and we're always happy to help. We've got a, a whole range of um, specialist international family lawyers that can tackle pretty much any problem. We do get some interesting cases um, and we often have more than two jurisdictions or countries involved um, and we've certainly got a very wide span of experts around the world that can help us at short notice um, which is invaluable in this sort of work. Well, thank you so much Lucy and Nomad Nation I will put on all the information that Lucy has just shared with us and uh, the contacts of uh, Lucy and her company uh, um, thank you again. Thank you for all these great insights. Thank you. Nomad Nation, don't miss any of the great inspiration, tips and insights that will prepare just for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter.